on the podcast, we have a message when God shows up at a wedding. We're looking at the first miracle of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John, where Jesus turns water into wine, and asking ourselves the question, what does this reveal about God, God's kingdom, uh, and how how does this uh, influence our faith and how we live? We got all kinds of things coming up. Uh, another week of Christianity Beyond Belief, our class on Tuesday nights, which has been going great the last two weeks. And then uh, the last Sunday of this month, we're taking a break from the service to serve the city. Sunday of service, where we got several projects in the community. Find out more on our website, northshorevineyard.org. Let's head to the talk. Why don't you all stand with me, and if you've got your bulletin, we're going to read the passage for today. It's on the front of your bulletin. John 2, 1 through 11. You can read out loud with me. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. You can be seated. <laughs> we, we just get a chuckle on that, that line of Jesus. <laughs> Guys, if you're, if you're looking for a life verse, um, you know, something to just kind of live by, you know, your, your token phrase, that's a good one. Woman, why do you involve me? And next time, <laughs> next time your wife asks, asks you to do something around the house, just quote Jesus. See how that works for you. Um, <laughs> a happy wife is a happy life. I, I, de- I definitely uh, agree with that. <laughs> so today we're going to look at this passage. It's we're going to look at it from a few different angles here. There's, there's a lot of things going on. Um, but I, I think one of the, the strangest things growing up as a 
kind of a you know evangelical Protestant is that we would just ignore this passage because it was scandalous because Jesus made wine. And, and it was like, you know, if you grew up Catholic, this is no big deal for you because wine wasn't so taboo. But because of our kind of moral problems with, with wine, it was just, I, if you preached on this, I, I heard people teach on this before and they said, oh, well, Jesus, he didn't actually make wine, he made grape juice. Um, but it doesn't appear that the guests at the party recognized it as Welch's grape juice. They actually said it was good wine. Like Jesus created some stuff that was vintage wine. So this is kind of problematic, problematic for those who've kind of grown up, you know, evangelical Protestants, uh, for, the, for the morality of it. You know, what are we to do with this Jesus? He, by the way, he does the miracle after everybody's fully drunk. So it's not like Jesus... <laughs> is, is kind of helping them get the party started. The party's like been going on and then Jesus makes what would be the equivalent to 120 to 160 gallons of wine. For those of you that don't drink wine, that's a lot of wine. That's a lot of anything. I mean, if you had 120 gallons of orange juice, it would take you a while to get through it. Even if you had an orange juice loving crowd. Um, so there's kind of the moral problems that we have with this. I mean, what do we do with this Jesus who does that? Um, (laughs) And, and that's the way he starts off his ministry. John says at the end of this passage that this was the first of the signs he did. Like Jesus could, could start off with anything and he starts off making wine at a party. What do we do with that? And then there's the other part of this that's, that's a little weird. I think just thinking about the miracles of Jesus, I can understand why Jesus would heal a blind man. That makes perfect sense. I can, I can understand why he would, you know, heal a leper. I can understand why Jesus would set somebody free who's tormented by evil spirits, raise Lazarus from the dead. Heck, I can even understand why Jesus would feed the 5,000 who'd followed him out into the wilderness and were hungry. That all makes sense in a practical nature because these are actual practical needs. But wine at a party? It seems kind of either trivial or what's that? That's yeah, that's the message. Yes. It seems either trivial or it seems frivolous. I mean, they already, they had already been drinking. Do they actually need more wine? Um, and out of all these things, does, does that really matter? I mean, is the world going to end if these people didn't get wine? I mean, obviously, if a blind man continues to be blind, it's going to hurt his participation with the rest of the world. Somebody who has leprosy continues to have leprosy. They're going to be estranged for community and have difficulty in life for the rest of their life. But wine at a party. Why is this the first of the miracles that Jesus does? And by the way, When John talks about this at the end of this passage, he doesn't simply say this was the first of Jesus' miracles. He said this was the first of the signs that Jesus did. What does a sign do? You're driving to Baton Rouge and it says says 60 miles to Baton Rouge. It gives you information about where you're going, right? Signs aren't just about an event See, Jesus didn't do any miracles that were just for the sake of just doing miracles. They always revealed something about where this thing's going. They pointed ahead. And so if we understand how, how John ends this chapter, he says, this was the first of the signs. This is the first sign. The sign is pointing somewhere. So our first question we need to ask is, what, what is the meaning? If we're going to discern this sign... What, what did, why did John 
keep this in here because John's the only person, the Gospel of John, it's the only one of the, the four Gospels that contains this story. How come John put it in there? And secondly, why did Jesus do it? What does this passage reveal about God's kingdom? What does it reveal about God himself to us? So there's a few things that I want to bring our attention to. Uh, Jesus, in this miracle, he uses these uh, ceremonial pots. If you were a Pharisee back in the first century, uh, the biggest deal to you would be ritual purity, saying, staying holy on the outside. And so they had all kinds of codes and religious things that you, you did to, to keep the outside looking good. And the Pharisees, they dressed in elaborate robes. They had rituals for everything. And, and just being a good Jew at that time, you would have to, if you walked into somebody's house, you would go to this, get, get uh, ceremonial water and wash your hands just to be pure when you walk in. And it wasn't about hygiene. It was about this kind of ritual purity. And so the Pharisees, they had this narrative that they were living in that, that they believed if they could get pure enough uh, holy enough, if they could abstain from enough things, then God would look down on them and go, yes, I'm, I'm going to come down. So they really, they really, th- this, this legalism that we often look at kind of a bit puzzled, they actually thought that this is the way of getting God to, as she said, remember them <laughs> and, and come down. But Jesus blows up that narrative for the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, you guys... You're great at cleaning up the outside, but the inside's dead. You're doing all these external things, you know, to, to, to uh, get God's approval, but the inside, your hearts are, are dead. You're dirty. <laughs> You're filled with, with all kinds of gross things. Luke eleven thirty seven through 41, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Jesus sat down without washing his hands. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside is full of green wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. Jesus introduces us to this idea that if you really want to be clean, it doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do with the externals in your life. It has to do with the inside. So Jesus takes these ceremonial water pots and and actually transforms them from within now the jewish people at that time nobody in the first century really understood what was going on when grape juice was fermented into wine they they knew that it happened but it was something that was mysterious it's kind of like quantum physics is to us today like we know that quantum physics exists but it just we don't know what we're dealing with yet we're we're, we're dealing with something that seems magical we can see the results but we don't understand it in the first century they they would they would make wine, but they didn't understand what was going on. But you know what, what we know now is that when grapes are converted into wine, it's an actual living process where something is transformed from one state to another state. 
And Jesus, I believe, is showing us in this miracle that it's, he's, he's taking this, these external, these, these pots that were made for ritual purity, and he's indwelling them with something living. And I think the meaning is very clear that it, it's about what's going on on the inside and what God is doing on the inside. Um, secondly, we can't miss the line in here. That, that Jesus has saved the, the best for last. The, 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 the master of the ceremonies at this wedding, he comes up to the bridegroom, he says, you know, most of the time, you put out the, the uh, uh, good wine first and, until everybody gets drunk on the good stuff and they, their palates are gone, and then you serve them the strawberry hill and the, <laughs> you, get the, the, you get the cheap stuff. <laughs> I had thought for a long time that, that Dina didn't like wine. You know, we would go out to a restaurant, have a glass of wine. And, and I thought she didn't like wine until we hung out with some people that, that bought really nice wine. And I realized she did like wine. She just didn't like the kind of wine I, I bought. <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but... <laughs> it comes in... Gal- yeah, the, 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 she doesn't like the kind that comes in boxes. Uh, <laughs> Vintage, 2016, January. Uh, it's a good. It was a good box. Uh, <laughs> but the, end, the the kind of punchline in this story is: normally, people start out with good wine, and then they bring out the bad wine when everybody can't tell the difference. You you've you've actually started with something good, <laughs> but now something's come that's so much better. You've saved the best for last. And I think in theological terms, what what this miracle says, what this sign is stating is that as good as the old covenant was, God's doing something new. And this new thing is so much better than that old thing. (laughs) And it's so excessive. And it's so joyful. I think we can't miss the context of this event as well. Because Jesus could have done a miracle like this and done a teaching on this at any other place, but he shows up at a wedding. And I think I, this reveals all kinds of things to me. But I think it's, it's in, in one sense, it just shows how much God cares about relationship. God values it when we, when we come together. He celebrates that with us. I think this is part of the incarnation. God steps into our world. We often think of the incarnation in terms of Jesus faced all the bad stuff that we face. And, you know, he didn't sin. He faced suffering. And, 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 and that gives me a whole lot of hope in my own journey that, you know, I can approach the throne of grace, as Hebrews says, and I can ask God for help because he's faced everything that I face. And I normally think of that in terms of, like, the bad stuff. But Jesus is actually entered into our joy. God rejoices with us in the things that that we rejoice in. Is that good news? God's happy. So in other words, when you're, you know, rejoicing over your children, uh, when when you're uh, hanging out with your spouse and and you're you're intimate, God is not like in the other room. (laughs) God's not... Uh, freaked out or he's not like uh, just waiting for things to get serious. God rejoices with you. He enters in to our joy. And ultimately, I think that the fact that this first sign happens at a wedding, it points to the, to the ultimate end of where all this is going. In Revelations, we see a, a great feast going on. 
And one day when, when, when God's kingdom, when, when heaven and earth are renewed and joined, we will see it's going to be a party. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a joyous celebration that will go on and on and on. <laughs> and so this first sign of Jesus, there's no wonder to me why this is the first sign. Because it sets the tone for everything he's going to do. He's going to offend our minds. <laughs> he's going to rejoice in, in, in relationship. He's going to blow apart the religious conventions of his day. He's going to do that over and over again from this time forward. Now, there's a few things that I want to, uh, I, I think those are the main theological points, but I think that there's, there's a few specific things that kind of stand out to me just in a practical way, and I want to end in this place. First is, this is a passage that is a, a great picture of intercession. Um, I, I've been a part of churches where they had intercessory uh, prayer teams, and and. Honestly, that word intercession scares me a little bit because a lot of times these groups were just people who wanted to gossip out other people and, uh, and, and clothe it under. We need to pray for so-and-so. Um, <laughs> but intercession, the idea of intercession is really simply coming to God on behalf of another person. I'm praying to God for his intervention. God, would you help Clint with the situation that he's facing? Lord, would you help Zach with, with, with this thing that's going on in his life? Would you, would you come through? And so Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him. <laughs> and that's where we get the, uh, the great, the great quiet quote, you know, we've run out of wine, Jesus. Woman, why do you bother me? It's not even my time. There's a there's a, a philosophical or a theological idea out there that God has wound up the universe and everything is working to a strict blueprint and there's really nothing we can do. So any any uh, anything that looks like we're making choices in this world, it's already been predetermined, and so we're we're all just kind of chess pieces on a board. But when I look at a passage like this, I realize now this blows that whole thing up. Jesus wasn't planning on turning water into wine. Why does he do it? Because of intercession. Mary comes to him and says, "Jesus, a little help." <laughs> Can you do something? Woman, it's not my time. I'm not planning on doing I wasn't planning on unveiling my worldwide ministry today. <laughs> but he does. Why? Because this is a picture of prayer. We go to God and we pray. And, and what's, what's beautiful here is, you know, this isn't something like praying for a blind person to be healed or somebody to be, this, this is, Jesus, can you help the party keep going? <laughs> and Jesus does it. So it's a picture of intercession. And I think in your life today, uh, you may be tempted to think, what does prayer even matter? I get in those places sometimes, but it does matter because God is intensely relational. We pray to God. We believe. And I have seen God come through in, in, in powerful ways and, and heal people before, but I've also seen God answer those prayers for things that, that seem a little bit not so major. God, would you just bless this person by answering this one little thing today? Can, can you do that? So this is a picture of intercession, that we have confidence to go to God with our requests for other people. But secondly, and this is, this is one of those things that has really, 
stood out to me the last few times I've dug into this. The people who get in on this miracle, who, who see what God is doing, whose very hands are used, are the most unlikely people in the story. Do you realize in this scenario, Jesus does this miracle, but nobody at the party knows that Jesus has just done a miracle. Now, they experience the blessings of that miracle. The party keeps going. They're like, man, this is good stuff. But nobody realizes a miracle has just taken place, except for the servants, Jesus' disciples, and Mary. But even Jesus' disciples, Jesus' disciples are not used in this miracle. You know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he involves his disciples in doing that. But in this one, he takes the servants. You guys, go grab these pots. You go take these to the, to the, guy, to the, to the head of the feast. And that, that really just speaks a lot to me. I've done a lot of marriages over the past few years as a pastor. And you've been to those things before where you're in a, a, a wedding reception. And those people that walk around with the trays... Most of the time, you don't strike up a conversation with them, right? I mean, your conversation is pretty much, hey, can I have another one of those duck empanadas? Uh, <laughs> one of those Southwest egg rolls? A little bit more of that jambalaya next time you come around? You know, the, 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 the servants at a wedding feast, their background, you don't notice them. They're moving everywhere, but nobody actually sees them. And who is it that gets in on this miracle? It's the most unlikely of people. It's the people nobody sees. And they actually get used by God in this way. God has, the kingdom of God has, has broken in. And the people in the party have tasted of God's goodness. And yet it's the servants who actually, they're the only people that have gotten to see what's going on. What's going on. I got to tell you, as a pastor, my favorite things over the last few years have been these moments where I found myself in situations and I've seen God do stuff that I can't tell to anybody else. <laughs> it just remains hidden. I'm, I'm reminded of there's that passage where the angel comes to Mary and tells her she's going to be pregnant with Jesus. And it said, from that moment on, it said that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She just held them in. And sometimes, as a pastor, I've seen these moments where this group of people is looking to do something good to help out this group of people over here. And I find myself in the middle of it. And they're like, we don't want anybody to know who we are over here. And I'm like, okay. And, and then I'm, I'm connecting this group with this group over here. And I'm just going, God... I'm just like the guy holding the, the hors d'oeuvres tray <laughs> at a reception. I'm nobody. And yet I get to glimpse what God's doing, and I can't tell anybody about it. So I just got to treasure those things in my heart. And I really do believe that, see, in our world, with the advent of TV and televangelists and worldwide ministries, we celebrate the the you know, the, the guys on TV that, that, that can do mighty acts of power and that have these worldwide ministries and are doing all kinds of uh, great exploits for the gospel. But what I see in the gospels is that the people who get used by God time and time again are not the gifted, talented, you know, famous people that got it all together. It's servants it's shepherds, it's fishermen, it's 
God's children. It's the most unlikely of people. And so this is what I want to end on today. Wherever we are with God, can we keep an openness? And we're going to be talking about this in the next couple of weeks in our Christianity Beyond Belief class on Tuesday nights. But keeping an awareness of God in our lives and just saying, God, what are you doing and how can I go along with that? It may be in some things that would seem trivial or frivolous to the world around you, but God, how can I pay attention to you? And when you're ready to do something, how can I step into that? Whether it's through intercession, like with Mary, or like these servants, just being available. Why don't y'all stand? I'll pray a blessing over you real quick. God, uh, we thank you for your, for uh, this passage that we've been able to read this morning, God. And I just pray, even in the the days to come, that we could find ourselves reflecting over this and the meaning. I pray that in every aspect of our lives, God, when we're working our, our jobs, when we're hanging out with our neighbors or our kids or our spouses, um, or just even people that we randomly bump into in the grocery store or through life, God, I pray that we wouldn't be so focused on ourselves and what we want, but that we could pay attention to you, God. We could pay attention to the needs of others, Lord. Lord, and we could, and, and when there's opportunities for us to step in and be a part of what you're doing, Lord, that we would be ready and willing to go along with that, Lord. So, Lord, by your grace, uh, just bless us with awareness of, of you and what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.